Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor. With mixed market bet builders, in-play betting and a selection of welcome offers, make sure your Premier League is spent with BetVictor's premier betting app. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. My fellow Chelsea supporters, welcome to this special edition of the Blue Day podcast. And for Chelsea fans everywhere, every day is a Blue Day. I am your host, a man with a face for podcasting, Keith Lawrence. On the show today, we will be discussing the outgoings in the recent transfer window at our club. Plus, we will be discussing the fast developing story of greed in pay-per-view. Plus, for the main event of today, we have none other than the chairman of the Chelsea Pitch Owners, Mr Chris Isett, discussing about the CPO and so much more. Joining me today is my co-host. He is the Londoner, living it large up north, and the man who loves a tequila. He's your friend and mine. It's Warren. Warren, welcome to the show. Good morning, Keith. Thank you very much for that glittering intro. Luckily enough, no tequilas last night, so I'm feeling fresh as a daisy. Splendid. Let's start off with the appetizer for today's show. We're going to talk about the recent transfer activity that our club had last week with the international transfer window. Of course, uh, next Friday, the 16th, is the deadline for the domestic transfer window. So we will be hopefully covering that on the Blue Day podcast through our channels. So stay tuned for the, for that one because there will be an announcement on that shortly. But, Warren, let's talk about the outgoings that we saw last week from the club. You know, no, most noticeably, Ruben Loftus-Cheek heading over to our neighbours in Fulham. You know, I know you've got a bit of an opinion on this one because you were texting me constantly with your opinions and feelings on it last week. So, you know, let, let's discuss it. Good move for him, good move for us. Where do you see him after this point? Because, you know, this for me, this was a surprise move. Yeah, for sure. I think the, the, the three sort of questions that you touched on there are all very important questions. You say, is it a good move for him? Is it a good move for us? And how do I see it sort of like going for him in the future? The, the answer to the first question, is it a good move? No, I don't believe it is. I think that Fulham are going to really struggle and they're going to have not a lot of fluidity. And of course, it doesn't matter what club you play for. You're always going to have to go and be really organised and structured and things like that. I'm not saying that Chelsea or Aston Villa or anybody else wouldn't have to be like that. But Fulham are not exactly going to have the most attacking of seasons, shall we say. So it's not really going to play into his 
role. I, I could be wrong, but I don't see it happening. I don't. I don't think it's a very good move. I don't think it's the right move for him. I don't think it's the right move for the club because I don't see him going there and particularly developing. I mean, maybe Frank sees it as like he's going to go there and he's you know learn how to work really hard and suffer it every week and mentally it might make him stronger. But I was very very surprised that Ruben went. We said it on the podcast. I believe my exact words were: "If Ross goes, I'll be shocked. If Ruben goes, and we don't bring in someone else, they've both gone. The transfer window is still open for domestic players. Um, there is a, an English central midfielder we." been heavily linked with for several months now <laughs> being Declan Rice um, which just won't go away I'm not suggesting that I want us to buy him I'm not suggesting that I don't want us to buy him I'm very very uncertain on the Declan Rice situation my opinion on it is if Frank brings him in Frank must have seen enough and I've trusted Frank's judgment so far so I'll continue to judge it but it's very surprising that Barkley and Loftus-Cheek both left um, and to Fulham I feel like he could have gone to a better team I feel, I feel like he spent time on loan at Crystal Palace. We've got a really good... We seem to have a pretty good relationship in recent years with regards to transfers and loans and stuff. Obviously, mitchie has gone back there. I think Palace are a much better team than Fulham. I think they'll finish higher. I think they play better football. They play with three up front like we do, essentially. Um, I just think it would have been a better move for him all round to go to a Crystal Palace or at least a, a minimum of a mid-table team. A minimum of a mid-table team. You know, There's no reason that Loftus-Cheek can go and try and break into the the Everton team or the or the Leeds team or the Leicester team or you know obviously we, we wouldn't go to Tottenham or Arsenal but you know a mid-table team of that kind of stature like Tottenham or Arsenal um <laughs> he um so yeah I'm very very surprised about it Keith like you said I was texting you quite a lot and I was actually sort of borderline negative about it I was I was very very surprised how did you feel about it you know when you were you shocked I mean like you said you were surprised I mean but I was I, I was I was sh- I was flabbergasted. I wasn't surprised that he moved out on loan because I believe, and I did say this after the Brighton game, that he, he looked too rusty for us. I know he hasn't played a lot of football and I think that takes into account. But he needs to be at a club, considering what he's been through the last year, where he's going to play every single week. And yeah. with the Chelsea midfielders... In front of him, with all due respect to Loftus-Cheek, and I am a fan of his, he was never going to get past Kovacic, Jorginho, and I will put him in this, Mason Mount, even Billy Gilmore. Yes, I personally believe the likes of Gilmore has gone above Loftus-Cheek, in Lampard's opinion. So, Because of the way that Gilmore plays. I think because of the way that Gilmore plays, he automatically gets in ahead of Loftus-Cheek and almost Barkley as well because of his, his style of play. It's very fixed. Where Billy, Billy Gilmore plays in one position, that's where he plays. Right? Jorginho plays in one position, that's where he plays. That's just... Tammy Abraham plays in one position, that's just where he plays. And I think that Loftus-Cheek had never, never pinned down exactly where he should play, ever. Mm. So that's been Loftus-Cheek's... Be- I, I agree, though. I think all them players that you mentioned are ahead of Loftus-Cheek in the pecking order, so to speak. And that's obviously why he moved. But for them... Did nobody really? Did really nobody else come in for him? Well, this is back on my point. Fulham, at the time, obviously needs you know more better players because at the moment they look like they're going to go down anyway. Isn't there a certain betting company that have actually paid out on Fulham already? Yes, even a couple have paid out on Fulham already. Yes, (laughs) after three games. Yeah, I'll. It's a shame for him because I would have wanted him to be at a club that 
wouldn't be scrapping for points every single week. So, and, you know, I think Loftus-Cheek would have been perfect at somewhere like Brighton. Yes, Brighton playing some good football at the minute as well. Somewhere like a Brighton that I think would have got the best out of Ruben, you know, playing every week. The fans, that, fans would have loved him. That would have been perfect. Yeah. So I'm a bit I'm a bit sceptical on that particular deal with Loftus-Cheek. If he comes back a better player, then great, but I can't see it if he's going to be in a team that's going to be losing every week. I, I think that the move to Fulham... And I really hope that I'm wrong when I, I say this. And I'm not saying this with any kind of authority or any kind of, like, I understand the game of football compared to the professional people that have decided Ruben should go to Fulham on loan. He obviously would have been told that it's a good move for you and it's, you know, the best for your future and stuff like that. And, you know, there's better people making them decisions than me and you, Keith, and more experienced people. But I believe that he may have played his last game for Chelsea. I would be more surprised to see Loftus-Cheek in the Chelsea top again than I would Ross Barkley. I agree with that. Going back on the transfers, I've got the list of departures from this recent transfer window, and I just want to sort of touch on just a couple. Could you, um, could you, read, could you, could you read them all out for the benefit of myself and all the listeners, and then maybe we'll just touch on one or two of them as you go through. Okay, that's fine. So the departures that we've had this summer, we have got, to, to begin with, we have... Uh, Marco van Ginkel going on loan to PSV Eindhoven. I'm a huge fan of Marco van Ginkel's. It's just been unfortunate with injuries and players in playing in his position that he's not had a fair crack at the whip, so to speak. But at PSV Eindhoven, I know he was captain there last season, so good luck to him again yeah, this season because we signed him from Vitesse Arnhem. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. We signed him in 2013. 13, was it, yeah. I do remember him playing a single match. The only match that I actually can directly recollect of his was against Swindon in, I don't know, the equivalent then of the Carabao Cup. And it was away. And I think Torres scored, Ramirez scored. I think maybe we won 3-1. It was in an early round of a League Cup game when he played. And I'm pretty sure he'd done his ligaments in that game. And obviously he's been on loan for seven or eight years since. Yes, he's he made his debut for us against Hull City. He played his first European game in a 2-1 defeat to Basel, which I was there. And it was, in fact, that Swindon game where he suffered yeah. a ACL injury. Yeah. Anterior cruciate ligament, yeah. That he's kept him out, that kept him out at the time for seven months. Yeah. And he hasn't played for Chelsea since. He's gone on loan. I mean, if you look at the list of clubs he's been on loan, it's quite a list that any club would be proud of. He was on loan at Milan, yeah, Stoke, and PSV since 2016. Yeah, so he's played for, you know, he's always been in the top league. Good good luck to Marco van Kinkel. Ethan Ampadu's gone on loan to Sheffield United. Great move. Great move for him. Kennedy's gone on loan to Granada. Good move for the club. Mishy, as we know, has gone on loan to Crystal Palace. Great move for everyone. Ross Barkley, as we saw, well, I think that the whole world saw him on his debut for Aston Villa, scoring that goal against <laughs> Liverpool. Stunning, stunning effort. Good luck to him on his loan move. We did discuss about Ross last week on the show. <laughs> that was so funny. Listen, anybody that's listening, don't get it twisted that I don't. I still think Liverpool are the force to be reckoned with in the Premier League. Um, I think that it's been a very, 
very unusual start to the season with fans not being there and it's a very, very unique time in football. This is something that one of our regular listeners, Aaron, was talking about to me recently, that it's such an odd time in football in a minute. But let's all just take a moment to fucking laugh at that result. 7-2, right? And people said Chelsea conceding three goals against West Brom and not being able to keep a clean sheet against Brighton and with 10 men against Liverpool and everybody this and that and that and, that and giving it all this and giving it all that and 7-2. Seven, seven and yes, they're a good side and they've got a 100% record at the minute and everything else. And it's a very, very unusual game. And I don't imagine it happening to Liverpool again anytime soon. But how was that to watch? That was just absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? <laughs> It was just an amazing day last week. Yeah, I mean, we had to mention it. I know, we, I know everything on this show is all, all about Chelsea, but just a couple more until we uh, sort of end this on a good note. Matt Miazga, who, if you might remember, was on loan to Reading last yeah. season. He's gone on loan to Anderlecht in Belgium. Okay. So good luck with him on okay, so that move. At least, yeah, at least he's gone from a lower league team to a. Premier team. Maling Saar, who we yeah. signed on a free from Nice, 21 years old, very promising centre-back, has gone on loan to Porto. Brilliant. Is, which, there one, is there one player missing from the list that I can think of? What, who has gone out on loan? Yeah, I believe he went out on loan. Um, he was the, you know, we signed the 18-year-old centre-back who was part of the Barcelona youth development um, system over there. We signed him and I'm sure we loaned him somewhere as well. No, he's still at the club. Is he still at the club? Yes, I, he is. I thought he went out on loan. That's it. Okay, interesting, interesting. It'd be interesting to see if he gets in and around the squad at any point in this season. I think um, going out of the Carabao Cup may affect that. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see. <coughs> oh, excuse me. It'd be interesting to see his development in the coming seasons for sure. Because I know that a lot of people in the game have got a lot of high hopes for him. I know that Barcelona had quite high hopes for him. I know that a lot of clubs were interested in signing him. So I'm very interested to see his development, especially because he's a centre-back. One one final one I'd like to mention as well, just sort of brushed over, because he has been at the club since he was a boy, and that's Lewis Baker, who's 25 years old, who's spoken to people at the club, scouts and coaches who have rated Lewis Baker very highly Mm. since he was a a young teenager. He's gone on loan again, but this time to Trabzonspor in Turkey, yeah. who is managed by one Eddie Newton. Eddie Newton, steady Eddie Newton. Big shout out on the Blue Day podcast for steady Eddie Newton. Absolutely. Top well, guy. Everybody always remembers the 1997 Cup final, quite rightly, it must be added, for the quickest ever goal in a Wembley Cup final at the Old Wembley. 42 seconds, Steve Mateo, we all know about that. But everybody forgets that Eddie Newton got the second after a beautiful little flick back from Zola at the back post. But Eddie Newton got the second one, and it was a particularly emotional moment because... He was the person who gave away the penalty against Man United three years earlier that started the snowball effect when we lost 4-0. Then he broke his leg and spent two years out of the game and he came back fitter and stronger and just an excellent player and an excellent gentleman. And, and as far as I'm concerned, he scored the winning goal in the cup final for Chelsea. So big shout out for Eddie Newton there. And he was on the touchline against Barcelona that night in the semi-finals in 2012 and he went fucking potty, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he went absolutely potty, didn't he? Him and Robbie running up and down at the touchline. I think, um, was Holland there as well? Was Holland one of the coaches yes. back then? Yes, he was. Yeah, yes. he was running up and down the line. Terry was there having been sent off and, ah, oh, wow, buzzing. But yeah, like, that's a good, good move for Lewis Bacon. Like you said, I know that he's been highly thought of at Chelsea for many years and has never been given his opportunity, unfortunately. And it seems like he probably won't, but... Yeah, 
fair enough. Good luck, Lewis. We will one day, Warren, actually talk about. We might even discuss it during the winter transfer window to see what transpires with our players and which ones comes in. But I would actually like to discuss about the loan system that we yeah. currently have at our club. You know, the, the process of buying a player for a, a very small fee, loaning him to all four corners of the world, and then being part of the Chelsea squad, you know, does the loan system work? Does it have an effect on our club? And should more clubs do it? So, ladies and gentlemen, if you do wish to get in touch with us and discuss about, you know, how we deal with the loan system, please get in touch with us on the Blue Day podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts on this and maybe on that particular episode. I want to hear your thoughts, folks. So, Please get in touch with us on the Blue Day podcast at gmail.com and we will read your views out, whether you believe it's a good thing or, or not. And Warren, you know, we will talk probably for hours yeah. about the pros and cons to it, whether or not it's been a success since it was first implemented nearly yeah, 10 years ago. Whether it's, whether it's viable moving forward. Um, I think, like you said, we're obviously going to save the discussion for a, a future podcast, especially once we've got sort of like our listeners' opinions in and stuff so that we've got more to work. But I think that it's quite, without sort of delving into it too much, it's, it's, it's what they do at Liverpool. But the difference is between <coughs> Chelsea and Liverpool is that we can afford to run that model and still invest heavily in the club. And I kind of feel like that was maybe Roman's idea about it. Like I said, we're going to delve into it in much greater detail and I'll explain a bit more. But yeah, I'd love to get listeners' opinions on our loan system because like you said, it's been it's been up and running now for over a decade. And, you know, maybe our listeners could message in with five players that the loan system has worked for because I can name a few. Well, there's, there's a few in the team right now. Yes, and indeed we will look at the negative side of it and which players it hasn't worked for. It's had an effect on whose who's yes. careers it's potentially ruined and, you know, the yes. psychological of things. You know, we'll talk most probably about Charlie Masunda. There's been, um, you know, he's done an interview recently and talked about his injuries and his career and his time at the club and stuff like that. So, yeah, Charlie Masunda, for those of you that don't know him, have a look at his recent press release, have a look at his career, have a look at him as a, him as a player because I think he's a very good example of the negative side of the loan system at Chelsea too, and how abusive it can be sometimes. Yes, for those of you that are not aware, Charlie Masunda does have an Instagram account so please find him on there. Saw him score his first goal for Chelsea in a cup game against Nottingham Forest and he's a celebration that night after he scored was something that I'll never forget, you know, but definitely a discussion to, you know, it, it should have its own episode. But Warren, we've talked about you know, Chelsea players, we've talked about, you know, the success of the club. Let's have a rant about the club, shall we? Oh, let's! Yes, let's have let's. a rant about the Very club. Very excited. What, what should we rant about? Well, for those that have been living under a rock the last 48 hours or perhaps have been geared up to Britain's Got Talent or, excuse me, Britain's Got Shite. Um, the Premier League have announced that th there will be a pay-per-view system for us, you know, the common fan that eats, sleeps and breathes their football club every single day of the year. Uh, we are being charged an extra £15 or... Should I say fourteen ninety five to be precise, in watching games that are not picked for the TV coverage for Sky and BT. So, if your game is not already on BT and Sky throughout the month of October, 
you not forced. We should put that into contention. You, you will not be forced, but you will have to pay fourteen ninety five to watch your team play Saturday at three o'clock. Now, when I first heard about this, I was shocked. And then when I saw the reaction on social media from top journalists, and I mean top journalists like Henry Winter, mm. ex-players like Gary, Gary Neville, yeah, you know, and certain individuals that have played the game, but in entirely different format, like Eni Aluko, who has actually praised the move. We, we will talk about that. Yeah. But Warren, this is a fast developing story because this is, you know, been, this is going to develop as we, as we are recording this and when this gets put up. But Warren, your initial thoughts on this, you know, just to start it off and then I will give my thoughts on, on this. It's already, we kind of accept that Sky Sports costs 30 plus pound a month and BT Sports in addition then costs, you know, 25 pound a month or whatever it is. I can't remember how much my subscriptions are, but. It's something around those marks. You're already paying 60 quid because you need your internet connection as well. And then you need this and you need that. So you're already paying somewhere nearly £100 a month just to be able to watch Chelsea on TV, right? Or, or just to be able to watch sports in general. I mean, you can't even... Even the Formula One only has one protected race under the, the right to broadcast, the sports right to broadcast thing in England. And that's the Silverstone Grand Prix, the British Grand Prix. That's the only one they have the rights to. Um... And to charge £14.95, right, I tell you, I tell, there's so much that I could say, Keith, and, you know, I do enjoy having a good rant, and I do enjoy I do enjoy speaking a lot, and I've got a lot of words, but there's not really much else I can say other than they want to charge me, right? Now, Chelsea are involved, so it's a bit unfair, because Chelsea are worth endless amounts of money, obviously, to watch. They want me to pay £14.95 to watch, to all intents and purposes, just another Premier League game. This isn't... The battle of this isn't the battle of the bridge title decider with two games to go. You know this isn't this isn't a huge game. This is Chelsea Southampton five games into the start of a Premier League season with no fans. They want me to pay fourteen pound ninety five for that. Whereas in the in the last I don't know sixteen months alone, I've been to Anfield, Old Trafford, Tottenham Hotspur's new toilet, and several other <laughs> several Wembley. I frequented Wembley a couple of times. Carabao Cup games, league games against Tottenham. Uh, you know Carabao Cup final. And I've been to all them games. The Carabao Cup final, I think the ticket cost me £42. And the other games cost me £30. I went to Old Trafford, Anfield, The Toilet, except Wembley, etc. For £30. And they want to charge me £14.95 to watch it from home, right? They want to charge me box office. I pay my monthly subscription to Sky Sports and BT every single month. And they want to charge me £14.95. And I won't even be able to pause it or record it or let somebody else sign into my device to watch it. And they want me to pay a one-off thing on a box office channel a box office fucking channel to watch premier league 14 pound 95 to watch they want me to pay 14 pound 95 to watch burnley against fucking brighton or something are they what, what well do they live out to do nobody's got no money the pandemic that's been going on let's not get into the politics of all that but nobody's got fuck all right nobody's got fuck all the only people that have got anything were the people that were millionaires to start with that are just taking even more money off of us poor people like sky who don't even pay their fucking taxes properly and they want to charge me £14.95 to sit at home and watch my team when Chelsea charged me 30 quid to go to Old Trafford and Anfield and all, all these other amazing historic stadiums watching watching Chelsea, watching at the time, watching Eden Hazard and Tammy Abraham and N'Golo Kante and some of the, you know, the, 
the world, some of the most world-class players that you could imagine. Charge me 30 quid for it, but Sky Sports want to charge me, and BT want to charge me 14.95. What fucking world are they living in? For one game, not a weekend pass. Let's have this right, listeners, for those of you that don't know. This isn't a subscri- This isn't a short-term subscription to Sky Sports. It isn't like you order it on the Friday night and then you can watch all your Formula 1 and football and all the different matches. This is a single event. Even boxing, right? If you pay for the Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder fight, 20 quid, you get six fights before it. You get an undercard, and the talent of fighter gets better and better as it gets closer and closer to the main event. We're talking about 90 minutes of football. 90 minutes to sit there listening to fucking Jamie Redknapp. Are you having a fucking laugh? 15 quid to listen to Jamie Redknapp going, Ugh, fuck off. What absolute thieving scumbags. How do you feel about it, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh because I'm a fan of Jamie Redknapp. Um, <laughs> quite like him, but I ain't paying fourteen ninety five to listen to him talk about fucking football. I'd rather listen to him than fucking Jermaine Penis, the king penis of punditry. I'd rather listen to both of them than Chris Sutton. Well, funny enough, you should say that. Chris Sutton has actually had his view on this uh, pay-per-view debacle. He's put out to say, it look, it's a terrible look. And he's continued with this, old Chris Sutton, your friend, by saying, we are in the midst of a pandemic. People are losing their jobs. We have seen the money the Premier League clubs have spent on transfer fees, the money they have spent on agents. It doesn't sit right with football supporters. In which case, I think it's an absolutely fantastic idea and they should charge twenty four ninety five. No, obviously, yeah, OK, so I agree with them sentiments. He's, he's put it well, you know, talking about so many people have lost their jobs and have no assurances or security in their work or their job anymore. Self-employed people are being told to go to work, stay at home, go to work, stay at home, go to work, stay at home, go to work, stay at home. How can people just, you know, there's some, there's people that are in a situation where they could be self-employed and they think they've got a week's work next week doing something. And they're like, oh, I'll order the game then. And they order the game. They pay 15 quid for it. And then Boris Johnson changes his mind two hours after the match and says, no, we're changing all the rules. He can't go to work next week. And now he can't buy him. Now he can't top up his electric because he paid because he gives Sky 15 quid to watch Chelsea versus Southampton. Like, do you know what I mean? I know that sounds like a little bit of a. Uh, like specific and slightly dramatic maybe but that, that's a that's that's the reality of the situation that we're in you know that's the reality of the situation that self-employed people are in you know Aubameyang doesn't have to worry about it Arsenal staff are getting laid off and he's just got a new 300 grand contract and we're being and we're being told that this 14.95 per game is going to be helping clubs and blah blah and all the rest of it no it's not because Lincoln and Oxford and Cambridge Wimbledon and Tranmere Rovers they ain't going to be on these £14.95 premium fucking box office channels they ain't going to get none of it this is going to be this is going to Chelsea like I'm not being funny I support my club in any way that I can of course I do but Chelsea don't need my £14.95 we've just spent £230 million on players and are spending millions and millions of pounds a week more on wages and things like that. Chelsea don't need my fourteen ninety five for playing at home against Southampton. I tell you what, charge me fourteen ninety five. Why don't you charge five thousand people fourteen ninety five and they can social distance? They made the point the other night at the England Wales game that it's a ninety thousand seat stadium, which means if you was to have one in every ten seats taken, so you'd have five seats essentially either side of you. You know, so you could be two and a half, three meters social distance from at minimum from every single person in the stadium, and you could still have had nine thousand people in there because it's one in ten ninety thousand stadium you have nine thousand people in there then nine thousand people could have paid 30 quid each and all that money could have gone to lower league clubs or to the nhs or to food banks and homeless charities and 
pandemic charities and similar things. There's so many things that they could have done and had football fans back in the stadium. But no, they decide, no, that's not going to make us enough money, so we're going to charge you 14.95 to watch Burnley against fucking Brighton or something. No disrespect to Burnley and Brighton, I've mentioned that I wouldn't pay 14.95 to watch Chelsea beat Southampton as well, so... I'm very much putting every club in the same bracket in that sense. But for a single game, Keith, I mean, I can't make that point. I can't emphasise that for for a single game. Even boxing, box office, you get seven or eight fights. Plus the whole night, the whole programme. We're talking about 90 minutes of football. Let me just touch on one particular person that has come out and has really had a bit of a backlash from it. You know, and I would like to stress on the Blue Day podcast, everyone's entitled to their opinion. However, me and my co-host, depending on your opinion, like to take the piss out of it. Yeah. By all means, you can have an opinion, but we will take the piss out of it if needed. And a former Chelsea women's footballer, and I pause there for a significant reason, uh, Enya Luko uh, gave a tweet out on the 10th of October, so yesterday, on the situation. This, this is her exact quote. So yep. she's put out, genuine question. If the average price of a Premier League ticket live is £30 plus, why is the pay-per-view price of £14.50 watching the same product on the pitch seem as an outrageous final straw? Question mark. Well, I mean, I Warren, think the your fault today. Well, the answer is pretty obvious, and I tell you what, without I'm not even going to answer it directly. I just give an example. I can listen to Eminem's music on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, a thousand other platforms. Many other platforms for music are available, obviously, and etc. etc. I can listen to all of those for free. I can turn on the radio or the TV, and as long as I pay my TV license, I have a music channel, and I can listen to Eminem or whoever happens to be on essentially for free right it's just being broadcast out there all the time if i want to go to an eminem concert and see him live it is uncomparable to watching it on tv right absolutely uncomparable i'm sure you've been to concerts before keith and you know it's 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 uncomparable going to see it live than to listening to it at home on your tv or whatever so you pay for that you pay for that that is the difference right the reason and also Why is it such an outrageous price? Because we're already paying for a subscription to watch football on Sky. I have a subscription that covers Sky Sports Premier League, Sky Sports Main Event, Sky Sports Football, etc. Everyone knows all the separate channels and Formula One and Event and all the rest of it. But I'm already paying a subscription. That's why it's outrageous. If I if I was paid if I paid six hundred and fifty quid. Uh, season ticket in the shed end for all Premier League games and then I got there and as I was going through I was like yeah that's £30 play. I'd be mega pissed off because you can't tell me that I have to pay loads of money for the right to be able to pay more money I know they're saying that you don't need a Sky Sports subscription to pay for these games you can pay it as a one-off but what about us customers that have been giving them all of our money for ages that's the difference I'm sorry that tweet is it's not relevant to me because the point that she makes is not relevant it's it's not logical and again totally entitled to her opinion but I don't really understand what her opinion is she's not saying oh this is going to help clubs out the financial implications of this she's not even saying 
by doing this, this is going to happen. She hasn't given us a positive. She's just said, oh, well, if you was going to pay to go to the game, why can't you pay to watch it at home? Because I've already paid to watch it at home. And going to see it live is what you pay your money for, to be exclusive, because there's only a certain amount of seats to watch it live, to be that close to the players and to be in there with the, in there with the fans and the passion and to potentially experience and witness something historic live every single time you go to a football match. Something historic could happen. That's what you're paying your money for. That's like, I, I don't understand her point. She doesn't have a point. She's just literally being, I feel that she's being deliberately like obtuse and just trying to, I don't know whether it's like a publicity thing, like no publicity, there's no such thing as bad publicity and she's just wanted to attract attention to her Twitter account for some particular reason. Maybe she's advertising something particular that she's doing at the minute and she just wanted backlash to get people on her Twitter or something. Because I don't see what her point is. Her point is so easily dissected and taken apart that I don't even think there's a point there. It's just to be argumentative. That's my belief on it. I could be totally wrong and I could be doing Miss Aluka a massive injustice. And if I am, apologies, I guess. But, I, you know, I'm not trying to be... It's nothing personal against her. Anyone could have sent that tweet and I would have said exactly the same. Anybody. Like, literally, it could have been a non-sports person that wrote it even. And my reaction would have been exactly the same if you would have wrote it Keith my reaction would have been exactly the same is my point you know I don't I don't see any logic to her point whatsoever I mean how do you feel about what she said Keith well I took it as a pinch of salt because at the end of the day with all due respect to her I don't know her personally don't personally really want to know her I didn't give a fuck what she said to be perfectly honest it was just more of a case of why make that statement? Exactly. That's kind of my point. Why? Why make I, I, that statement? You know it's going to piss people off. You know it's going to antagonise the very minority that already feel that there's too many women in football. And yeah. to make a comment yeah, like I that... I don't feel like... Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like she should... I don't feel like her comment should. I feel. I think that she should be able to say, that as with regards to people like that, that think there's already too many women in the game, and that's that's just completely. That's so irrelevant to me. Then people. I mean, oh, they have their opinions and stuff, but I don't really listen to their opinions. And I hope she. No, doesn't no, no. Of course not. I, no, I know. No, I know. I, I know. You're saying, of course. I, I, I know that you're not. I know that you're not one of the minority of people that are like that. I know that you're very like expressively open-minded and equal opportunities. Of course you are. We both are. But. I don't feel like that would have motivated her tweet at all. I literally just think it's a case of she was kind of in the public limelight and then Alex Scott's kind of taking it away from her. So I, I literally feel like it's a bit of a publicity thing. Like literally like, well, nobody's listening to your nice tweet. So put out something that's against what everybody is saying and everybody's going to flood your Twitter. Everybody will get over it after a day or two, but still be on your Twitter and follow, like, do you know what I mean? You're still fresh in their minds. Celebrities do it all. All of the time, it's like such a common basic. It's not like a conspiracy. It's just a tactic. Do you know what I mean? It's a tactic that they all do. So just to divert. Like, excuse me. Just to divert your point. You know what I would pay fourteen ninety five for? What's that? For any Aluko and Alex Scott to beat the shit out of each other in a one off MMA fight. See who the who see who the real proper female pundit is. I reckon. I, I would well, love. I'm not sure that. if that. And whoever loses sure that, has to leave. I'm not sure that could. I'm not sure that their punditry skills could ever be really like, like sort of assessed and defined in a fight. But it would be quite interesting. I think Annie Aluka. I think Aluka would win. You know, there's something about her. I think she's quite. 
Well, every time they speak about football, it pisses me off. Enough about Iluko's opinion. And again, we know everyone's entitled to it. But here on the Blue Day podcast, we will take the piss. The only thing I could ever add to it slightly is the hypocrisy that's involved in it. Because if you look at the fine work that Marcus Rashford did with ensuring that children that had free school meals, were, that the ones that were going to be home over the summer and had to miss loads of school because of the pandemic. And he fully deserved his yeah, honour. Yeah, absolutely. Utterly deserved his honour. Absolutely. I, I, think, I, I think that several thousand other people that campaign, have been campaigning it for years also deserve a mention as well. He's kind of, because of his status, he's managed to sort of get all the acclaim for it, which he's never asked for. I'd like to point that out. You know, he's never, he's never asked for it. The only reason he went public with it was to get the, to get the job done, you know. So, fantastic work, Marcus Rashford. You know, thank you on behalf of everybody that's, you know, had a service to them that they really needed. So that's brilliant. But the, the hypocrisy that's involved with, for example, Chelsea giving lots of support to the NHS and other clubs that have done the same and other clubs that have done a lot in their community, you know, Tottenham being the own, the team that really, really fucking didn't scumbags, charging the council to use their stadium to hand out food parcels to starving families and uh, wankers. Um, but most clubs have done an awful lot for their community and stuff. So it's like, oh, OK, so you're really struggling, so we're going to help you and we're going to give to the community and we're going to support the community and we're going to go to the MPs and we're going to get this done and then we're going to charge you £15 to watch fucking football at home when you've got absolutely nothing. You've had to beg, borrow and steal and now you want to charge you £15 to watch one of our games. And the only club out of 20, out of 20, and this is what's fucking despicable, out of 20 Premier League clubs, only one club voted against it and that was Leicester City. And thank you, Leicester City, for representing football fans all around the country by saying no to that because all the other 19 greedy bastard clubs, Chelsea included, voted yes to charge 14.95 box office games and only Leicester didn't so fair play to you Leicester thank you very much for representing football fans up and down the country and long may it continue and long may and long be it that other clubs follow your example as well well done Leicester City Football Club for me this just promotes illegal streaming yeah that's what I'm going to do so you're not going to pay the fourteen ninety five to watch no, Chelsea Southampton next I'm week? Fuck, I'm, no, I'm, fuck, I'm going to illegally stream it. And that's out there for the whole world to know. I will happily, you find me on Instagram and I will happily give you the link for it, listeners. <laughs> Corporate greed, go fuck itself. I will, that, would be I, my, that would be my advice. Let me just put a bow on it. I can understand why they've done it from their point of view. But for us fans who have not seen a game since March, or for those that before that, Except you know, Brighton. we have to put up with watching football on telly with no supporters, but still have the fucking ridiculous audio crowd noise that I wish to God they never did, because well, it's fucking you can stupid. Do, you can, if, you're, if, if you're watching on Sky Sports or BT, you can turn over to the channel with no crowd noise. You can, but then there's a lot of the times on... There's a delay. There's a delay. I was watching a game with no crowd sound and somebody messaged me, like, saying, oh, what a goal. I think it was the West Brom game when Mason Mount scored. And Aaron, who a regular listener to the Blue Day podcast, messaged me and said, like, oh, oh fantastic goal or whatever. And I was behind, so it hadn't happened. <laughs> mm. So it hadn't happened. I was like, what? And then I looked up and Mason Mount had just popped one in. And I was like, oh, yeah! you know like sort of thing like the proper delayed reaction but yeah so that is a bit of an issue with it and but I, they should I never like have done it in the first place well, they no, they never... have, no they absolutely have to though because of people that are sat at home watching with children and you've got Frank Lampard calling Klopp a cunt on the sidelines you have to have the 
audio playing over that for the benefit of the pre-Watershed uh, audience, so to speak. So I can understand uh, why that. No, 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 I completely and utterly disagree with that. No need for it whatsoever. I take your point. It's to do with families. You know, they want families to sit down and enjoy themselves while watching their friends. The bollocks to that. Tell you one thing, there's going to be a lot of people not sat down next week with their families watching the game because they won't be paying 14.95 for it. And again, it's just pricing us out. This is, oh, it just prices us out. So it's just such a piss take. It just really is. It's like going to get your tyres done and they fit you brand new tyres and they charge you £65 for them and you think that's a little bit excessive but they've done a good job. You know, Sky Sports never goes down. They get all the games. You know, So, you know, it's the, the equivalent of going to a place and them doing a really good job and then them saying, oh, you wanted air in your tyres at the end. Oh, well, that's an extra £15. What, you mean I don't get air with my tyres? I pay for Sky Sports football and don't get to watch football unless I pay more. It's the same as going to a tyre shop and then putting a brand new tyre on your car and then saying, you wanted air, sir? Oh, that's an extra £15. Like, you know, it's just the big piss take that you can imagine. And it's just... And this is a, this is an organisation that's regulated by an Ofcom. You know, an Ofcom has allowed this to happen. That's what's abysmal about it i'm hoping and praying that this is only for october i know it shouldn't be happening in the first place but if it is to happen let's just hope and pray that it happens just for one month for the sake of every supporter out there watching the premier league because even the ones that are in the efl and they get charged 10 pounds to watch their team through the efl website a lot of the times i've heard from supporters they're not happy with that service because either the feed's too slow or, you know, the it's cameras are behind. It's really behind. Yeah, it's not it's not perfect. So is this gonna be the same sort of thing? Fifteen pounds for me is an extortionate amount. I pay enough for Sky, I pay enough for BT. You even paid for the Carabao Cup and we only played one game. Yes, exactly, exactly. You know, I was happy to pay the price for the Carabao Cup because I thought it would be a one-time thing. But with this, this is slowly, if the Premier League has its way, this is slowly going to come into effect on a regular basis where if you can't afford to go to the games, you will can, you can watch all your matches, but with a price, and it's wrong. £14.95. Per game is what the massive, massive issue is. If they brought out another subscription service for the three o'clock games, at least there's some almost fair. <laughs> this is just unacceptable, and I will not be paying for it. Let's move on. I think that we. Yeah, I believe. I believe we, we should move point. on. Yeah, yeah. We, we, I want to get the listeners' views on it, whether they agree or disagree, fully, partially, whatever. I would very much like to get listeners' opinions on this and whether how many of our listeners will indeed be ordering it or maybe using a different service or waiting for the highlights or whatever. So, yeah, get in touch with us, the Blue Day Podcast at gmail.com. Let's move on to the main event, shall we, Warren? Oh, yes. This is so what we, have, what we have for you today, my fellow Chelsea supporters, is an exclusive interview with the chairman, no less, of the Chelsea Pitch Owners Association, Mr. Chris Isit. He is on the show right now for an interview. So if you have any time to spare, please listen to it. Chris is on the show now. Here we go. Okay, my fellow Chelsea supporters, joining myself and Warren on the show is a very special guest. 
He is the chairman of the Chelsea Pitch Owners. He is Mr. Chris Isit. Chris, welcome to the Blue Day podcast. Honestly, this is an honour having you on the show. Well, I'm very pleased to be here and, and happy to have any medium to be able to talk about the Pitch Owners. Um, I think a lot of a lot of people maybe might not know an awful lot about it, so I'm very grateful to have the opportunity just to uh, talk a bit more about it and to talk to you guys, of course. Brilliant. Let's sort of introduce yourself, really. You know, what is, what's your earliest memories growing up as a Chelsea fan? Was it from a very young age or was it sort of like later on in life? Uh, well, I first came to Chelsea uh, as a 10-year-old with my friend Richard and Richard's dad, who drove us to the ground. Uh, this was in December 1966. Um, and our first game was a gritty dour London derby between Chelsea and West Ham on December the 17th, if I remember rightly. Um, Richard's dad, bless him, decided we'd leave five minutes before the end to, to avoid all the rush. So we missed Bobby Tambling scoring the uh, the equalising fifth goal in a five-all thriller. Um, oh, wow. So that was a... That was a, and just, I just went back through the through the uh, the data on, online a few weeks ago and just looked at the teams and it was... Um, Obviously, the Cat and Ron Harris and Johnny Boyle, John Hollins, Tommy Baldwin. Uh, um, who else was there? Eddie McCready was playing, I think. And on the West Ham side was was the uh, the more Peters Hurst axis. So it was quite a quite a thrilling event, even as a ten year old. So that's my first my first trip to the Bridge, um, having lived and been brought up around sort of New Malden, Kingston area, all those years ago. So that was that was always my club. What an incredible first game to go into. It would have been some game. It was some game, yeah. Pete, Peter Benetti and Chopper Harris, like you've just mentioned there, that gives me goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, you know, he, he, I mean, he, uh, Chopper was there. He played every game for 20 years ago, didn't he? He was just, yeah. uh, he was always there and he's still around, still seeing around the ground now doing his stuff, uh, doing his stuff as ambassador of the club. What a great bloke. Mm, was it, seven, was it 792 appearances he finished on? Something in that region? Uh, don't know, don't know those stats, but it was an awful lot. I know that. Yeah, hell of a lot. It was a hell of a lot. Sorry, Keith, carry on. No, 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 that's that's absolutely fine, Warren. And so, so growing up as a Chelsea supporter, you know, the, seeing the club change throughout the decades, and when we're discussing about the Chelsea pitch owners, you know, what particular game was it that made you fall in love with the club, and made you want to be part of the club even more? in regards to being part of the Chelsea pitch owners? Um, well, I think, I'd, like many people, I wasn't particularly aware of the pitch owners because, you know, the pitch owners have been set up back in the uh, back up in the 90s. And I don't think for, for many, many years I was even aware of it. And it was probably, well, I can't even say, I think it was, I think it was a particular birthday I'd had a few years ago. It was only maybe eight or ten years ago that some friends actually bought me a share and I, then I sort of got into it and, and tried to find out what actually it was that these guys had bought me. And it was only really getting into it then and reading the background and uh, never really getting involved much more than that. Um, it's just, I think the story is absolutely fascinating about you know, going back to Ken Bates and, and why he set it up, all of which was obviously just to protect the integrity of, of Stamford Bridge and being able to, to play football at Stamford Bridge. And understanding, you know, the... Um, it's the, apart from the commercial reasons for doing that, just just what that meant to the club to be able to you know to, to ring fence that beautiful part of, of our home and just just make that you know as, as ring fence as it is for the for the future of the club and for the future of people to want to go and watch football there. And I thought that was just a great story. 
How significant do you think Ken Bates was in all of this in regards to the pitch owners and the future of Chelsea Football Club? Well, I think I think what he did was was absolutely crucial to the to um, you know under underpinning and, and giving the foundation for Chelsea to, to continue to play at Stamford Bridge. I say whatever the motives were, and, and there must have of course have been some commercial interest in there as well. But but the underlying you know, consequences of that were that this fantastic ground that we play at um, is is now under our control if you like we have we have the say as to what goes on there um and all being well with you no know, football is guaranteed to be played there in, in perpetuity until such time as the, the shareholders the fans uh decide otherwise so that's you know for me that's just a wonderful thing what went on during that time i, I remember most of the threat from the from the property developers was taking place during that sort of 80s yeah. decade and i guess that prompted ken to to uh eventually get hold of the freehold, which he didn't have at that time. I think that mm. having got hold of the free the freehold then allowed the whole next chapter to really to uh kick on to kick on and formalise into the into the way it's become now. Chris, can I can I ask you, with your like you said that you've been your knowledge has grown a lot about the Chelsea pitch owners in the last ten years and obviously you're the chairman now so I'm sure you appreciate all of its history and stuff. Where where do you imagine Chelsea being as a football club without the Chelsea pitch owners being created all them years ago, like you say in the early nineties. Well, I, I think I think the the history of what happens, what's happened in the last twenty years or so, would indicate that if if the owners had had their way, maybe ten years ago, it's possible that we that that football might not have been played at Stamford Bridge now. Obviously, amongst all the options that have been considered, was to move away. Um, you know, very pleased that didn't happen, and even more pleased that. The commitment was made four or five years ago to redevelop the ground, and unfortunately, circumstances meant that hasn't been able to to go ahead at the, at the present time. Um, but that's you know, it's um, I guess like many clubs, we've seen so many clubs around the country, you know, what, what have been historical grounds going back over a hundred years or so. Think of you know Man City or Leicester or Coventry or you know so many so many places have now relocated into fancy shiny new stadiums. I think. Personally speaking, um, I think the shiny new stadiums sometimes take away from the glamour and the history and the tradition, don't they? Absolutely. I've, I've found that with the transition, in, in, especially I've noticed it, the transition from the old Wembley to the new Wembley. I was fortunate enough to frequent the old Wembley on quite a few occasions. And the new ground is, you know, structurally and architecturally and facility-wise, it's fantastic. But it's not the same, um, Chris. I totally agree. Yeah, I think from a, again as a as a fan, I don't get an awful lot of atmosphere going to Wembley. You're so far away from the pitch, which is something obviously that Stamford Bridge gives you in spades. You're you're yeah. right up there, almost shaking hands with the players if you're close mm-hmm. enough. Uh, but to go to Wembley and also you know some of the other London grounds these days, you're a long, long way from the action, aren't you? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Chris, you mentioned just earlier about the plans for Stamford Bridge to be redeveloped. Um, it was back in around 2011, wasn't it? It's about 2011, 2012. The initial sort of talks begun, wasn't it? Between like that, what Roman wanted to relocate, and it came to a point where he wanted to change Stamford Bridge, but it never materialised for one reason or the other. Because I remember there were plans at the museum that they were trying to get Stamford Bridge to be bigger. You know, have to have to sort of the stands sort of rise from the pitch. 
quite similar to what they've done at the Bernabeu. But what were the difficulties with Chelsea's proposal with, in the boardroom that the Chelsea pitch owners, Chelsea pitch owners, excuse me, had to deal with? Because I'm, I'm gathering that there was, there must have been some people within the Chelsea pitch owners that had their doubts about this. Yeah, I, I don't know all the all the history on this, Keith. Um, all I all I know is I think you're talking about two slightly different events there. In 2011, um, there was the proposed what well, the ideas were being mooted about moving. I think uh, Earl's Court was one one potential venue to be uh, that, that Chelsea would move to, and I think the other one was when the Battersea Power Station was up for for sale for redevelopment. I think I think at that time, I believe. The club was looking at those as, as, as potential venues uh, that didn't get passed. I think because of the involvement of the, of the pitch owners, and you know, I think any any move that involved going away from Stamford Bridge required, I think, 75% majority um, of the uh, of the shareholders to vote in favour of it, which which didn't happen at the time. They didn't get the 75%. So I think that was the earlier event, and more recently the redevelopment of Stamford Bridge which uh, CPO is, is, is fully 100% behind, um, that I think did involve a lot of work, particularly dealing with Hammersmith and Fulham Council, um, as well as all the um, there's, there's negotiations to take place between the club, not CPO, but between the club who are doing the redevelopment and people like TfL and um, uh, Network Rail, people like that. So there was a very complicated uh, arrangement, which, I've, you know, for the benefit of the club, I think it was fantastic that the permission got granted, and I think just a combination of circumstances um, around not the football but the, the politics of it that sort of meant the thing was just being put on hold for the time being. And do you, and do you think it is for the time being? Do you think that the future is still pointing in the, the direction of redevelopment rather than moving away from Stamford Bridge? Do you think that's still the general consensus around the club? I think while the planning permission still remains live, which it does until the early part of 2021, then you'd have to say that would remain favourite. But of course, it does depend on uh, on the owner having the wherewithal and, and desire to to, uh, to fund it, which of course is a significant sum of money. Yes. He's already pouring, thank thank God for him pouring loads of money into the team at the moment. Whether whether it's the right time to be embarking on building work of that of that size as well. I don't know. Uh, people with greater minds than me would have opinions on that. Time will tell, I guess. Yeah, I guess. But say so the, the plans themselves look well, absolutely fantastic, and and sure. having seen some of those things going through the works and having sat through various presentations, if that project ever got underway and got completed, it would be an absolutely brilliant stadium to to watch football in. And as you say, the the, the lowering of the pitch sort of. Um, arena style like a sort of coliseum would create a most fantastic atmosphere and, and, the, and the work and the, the work that was going into the you know the, the components and the building materials and absolutely state-of-the-art stuff and would have been absolute would be an absolute joy if it ever came to pass wow what an, in, what an interesting insight chris thank you so much you, you've obviously been privy to like you said these presentations and stuff that a lot of us chelsea fans um don't necessarily get opportunity to see so what a fantastic insight thanks very much Sure, yeah, absolutely. Warren, was there any other questions that you had in mind for Chris? Because I think there was one in particular you said you you did say to me earlier that you wanted to ask him. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, basically, I know you said, Chris, that your um, association with the Chelsea Pitch Owners Club has been you know, fairly recent, but being a 
such an avid Chelsea supporter for or dare I say it, Nick, Nick, going on 50 years, Chris. It's a, it's a head of an inning so far supporting Chelsea. Um, it's, it's coming up, funny enough, to the anniversary of the late, great Matthew Harding. He passed away on the 22nd of October 1996, so it's coming up yeah. to his 24-year anniversary. Yeah. Um, just for those fans that may not know about him, may not know much about him, know that he's got a stand named after him, so know he's important. Could you tell us a little bit about Matthew Harding and... Anything that you know about him and that he may have done for the club, you know, you was obviously a, a big fan of the club back in them times and he was a, a man of the people. Did you ever have the privilege of meeting him even, Chris? I, I never did and, and regret that I never had the chance to do that. In those days, I was just one of, one of the, you know, one, a, a fan going to the games I could yeah. whilst yeah. Um, bringing up a young family. So I wouldn't have got to, uh, you know, the away games. I know, I know Matthew used to go here, there and everywhere. Um, mm. And that was unfortunately the the cause of his death with that, in that helicopter crash after that League Cup tie. Yes. Um, but, Alton. Uh, Alton, we lost that's two. That's right, yeah. 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 Um, but so, uh, yeah, in, in his position as, I think, Deputy Chairman, wasn't he, to Ken at, at the time, I, I think he was, through his company, he was, um, he was funding a lot of the activity that was taking place at the club in terms of development and buying players and stuff like that. So, you know, without, without him, um, even in, uh, even in those, uh, even in those 90s, and you know that the club wouldn't be in the position that's in today for the work that was done during those during those busy years and things for him. So it was a you know an absolute legend, and you can you can see that in the way that he's revered within the within the fan base and within his own stand and things. Absolutely brilliant, brilliantly put, Chris. I couldn't have put it better myself. His name is still sung loud and proud at absolutely you know, at most Chelsea games that I attend. Um, and it's still sung passionately. And I still remember the game um, after he passed away. Um, it was Tottenham at home. Tottenham, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Remember that. Yeah. One, yeah. Um, I believe Hullet, Di Matteo and David Lee scored. Um, and That's he, right. Rudy, Rudy he, was the manager, I think, at the time, wasn't he? Yeah, I Play think he manager. was the manager at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think yeah. you're right with that. Yeah. Um, and even the Tottenham fans were unbelievably respectful that day. Mm. Not very often. Yeah. Like, Praise Tottenham fans, but, they, but yeah, no, it was a very, very sad time around. I forget you said that one. Yeah, <laughs> we'll edit that out. But um, but no, yeah, he was. He, a lot of people are not aware of how important of a man he was to the club, and he worked his way yeah. up from T boy to you know multi millionaire, and like you said, invested massively in the club. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know, yeah, it's he, a great story. Great, it's a yeah. great guy. And, and his, his wife's lovely as well. His wife raised a lot of money for charity, sort of in honour of his name since he's passed away and stuff. Brilliant. So I know yeah. that they're they're a lovely family as well. Chris, the other thing I was going to ask you, and it's something that has been playing on my mind sort of for a while, especially with the lower league clubs. Uh, I think sort of Chelsea have got it spot on with the Chelsea pitch owners that you know fans. Do have a say. They have, you know, they have a voice in regards to the future of their club. Why do you think that other clubs possibly do not have this organisation that they are keen to protect the club? You know, Chelsea, I feel, are quite unique in that aspect. That we have the shares. You know, fans can have a share of the pitch. Do you think that for the sake of English football, that more clubs potentially possibly more lower league clubs should incorporate something in regards to Chelsea pitch owners? Well, I, I think it depends on the setup within the individual clubs and they are all different. And, and as you rightly say, the situation at Chelsea is unique. 
Um, having said that, I have been talking fairly recently with a really nice guy called Howard who wants to do something similar at Chesterfield FC. And we've had a couple of conversations about the setup and how do you do this and how do you do that. And I know some, because they have their lease, I think, with a local council, and he's looking to, you know, to, to try and protect any danger the council might want to try and sell out from the, from the ground and move on sort of thing. But I think it does depend. A lot of, a lot of clubs, the situation is with the, the whole, the whole place, including the, the ground itself is owned by the club. And that isn't the case with, uh, with Chelsea. So I think it really does depend on what the individual setup is. Do you think that it would be something that could put off potential buyers from a club? So if, for example, that there was the, the most recently there was talk of the Saudi takeover of Newcastle, do you think if they didn't have the full rights to the whole club, it would put them off from purchasing the club, possibly? I think it would have a significant role in their decision-making. Whether that sure. was an, an ultimate deal-breaker or not, that would be up to the people concerned. But I think it obviously it adds an extra layer into the uh, into the discussions about whether a club is in play or not in play. Because it does seem to work so... It, it, it has seemed to have worked so well for Chelsea. I mean, not only did it keep us going um, when developers were threatening coming in, but also, like you said, just more recently, people probably don't realise that Chelsea may have... It might not be a shopping centre at Battersea. It might be Chelsea's new stadium and we may have moved away from Stamford Bridge. That's right. And that, would right. be dread- and that would be dreadful, Chris. I think that me and Keith are very... I know that a lot of Chelsea fans have a lot of varying opinions, but I think me and Chris, uh, me and Keith are very much on your train of thought there that we want to stay at Stamford Bridge. We've been there for 115 years. Yeah, and, and, and we fully accept that there are different opinions across the whole fan base. There are, there are plenty of people that say, oh, why do you bother? Why not just sell up and, and move on sort of thing? That's, yeah. you know, you do, you do get plenty of opinion across the whole spectrum. Mm. But uh, I think, I think the core base of people that, that, that are really have followed the club for a number of years and have, you know, live, eat, breathe and will probably die it, um, yeah. would, 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 would hate the thought and the prospect of not being not being able to watch football at Stamford Bridge. That's what we're here for, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, yes, I totally agree, Chris. <laughs> just, a, just a few more things before we wrap this up, Chris, if, if I may. The Chelsea pitch owners recently announced, sort of, well, back in June, that a, there was a special edition share that Chelsea supporters can contact the CPO and get one or two shares. For the listeners, could you just tell us a bit more about it, please? Well, the idea at the time uh, was really to to show CPO and and by you know by extension the shareholders and the fans to show their support of what was happening with uh, with all the support for the NHS at the time, and for each share that was bought for an extra five pounds, that extra five pounds would be donated back into the uh, Chelsea Football Club Charitable Trust, which supports a number of charities including NHS charities as well. So it was just a way of trying to do a little bit to support what was going on at a time when, of course, it's very, very, still very, very high up in the news rankings. And we all know that these guys are doing a fantastic job on everyone's behalf at the moment. Did you get a lot of feedback from that, from supporters? I think we got we got some very, very positive feedback. I'm not sure about the actual numbers of, of additional shares that were bought on under those under those conditions, but certainly the feedback that we got across the board was was positive and, and I think was more good PR at a at a time when, when the club was always doing itself was doing fantastic work in, you know, putting meals out, allowing people to stay in the hotels and all the fantastic things that the club's been doing over the period of the pandemic. So there's just that little thing that CPO was doing in addition. 
Okay. In regards to the CPO shares, there might maybe one or two people listening to this that know about the Chelsea pitch owners, obviously know the history, but they might not know, you know, how to get a share. Could you just clarify to the listeners on how they can get a share of the Chelsea pitch owners? Sure, that's would be an absolute thrill to do that because we need shareholders. We need shareholders all the time. Uh, we have, I think, 21,000 shares in circulation and they are owned by around about 13,000 shareholders. Obviously, some have more than one. Um, and I think of those 13,000, around about 1,000 are actually based overseas. So there's quite a strong overseas following uh, of Chelsea fans who want to take part in an ownership of the club of the CPO as well um, the, per, the, the process of buying shares is fairly straightforward on the Chelsea FC website uh, there's a page for Chelsea pitch owners with a bit of background about CPO and the history and a very simple straightforward link to go in and, and inquire about shares and to buy them and you can buy a share for as little as £25 plus I think there's a £6 admin fee just to get the thing processed and registered um, as an official share. If you want to enhance that £25 share, you can get it signed by a selection of the players that we've got available with signed shares at the moment. You can get it framed or frame it for you. Um, and as and when the opportunity gets to go back to the bridge, you could do as I did, have that share presented on the pitch just before the game. Obviously, there's a varying level of price points depending on how you want that share done. But for 25 quid plus £6 admin fee, you can get in and be a be a shareholder and, and have, a, have a share in the CPO. Brilliant. I recommend every, what I a recommend, bargain. Every, I recommend that everybody that everybody that can, everybody that's financially able to and willing to, you know, have a look at it because it really does support the Pitch Owners Club, which ultimately supports the club and is there for all of us fans to make sure that we can continue enjoying going to Stamford Bridge and that we get the best Stamford Bridge that we can in the future. Absolutely. Please, and, please and just, check it out. Just to emphasise the point again that CPO is a non-profit making organisation so every penny that's raised after covering costs goes back into servicing the loan to pay off the loan for the freehold and eventually that all goes back into the club as well. So it, it is a, it's a, a full circle of supporting the club if you like. Fantastic. And to put it uh, as another point, it's another way to, you know, get near the Stamford Bridge turf by, you know, having your share being presented to you before or at half time. I think it's, I think it's a fantastic sort of idea. It's a, it's a brilliant. Uh, that was, that was, it actually made my, see, I'll tell you why. That was a, a great story about when I got my share presented because it was, uh, it was May 2016 eventually when I eventually got to get mine presented. And it was the, it was the Battle of the Bridge, Chelsea Tottenham. Wow! Oh, what's a game you, to get your you remember, share presented? I'm sure you remember that game because the guy normally they get the share will be presented by someone's on the bench or in the squad, but not in the starting eleven. And, and, the, and the guy was on the bench who came on to completely change the game second half, presented with my share was the little wizard himself, Eden Hazard. Wow! And I, my. <laughs> My after-dinner story is that I said to him when he came on and presented me, I said, if you get on, lads, pull your finger out and turn this lot on. <laughs> I didn't actually say that, of course, but it's a great story, isn't it? Oh, wow, Chris, that is absolutely fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. And what a night it was. What a, what a game to get your share. Well, what was there, 56 yellow cards or something? 
Uh, I think it was more than that, wasn't it? 17 yeah. standings after. Yeah. If, it, if you include all the bench and the people that got That's the top, right, yeah. thrown out of the ground at yeah. the time as well, yeah. And that was just Tottenham's team. That's yeah, right, that was, yeah. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was just Tottenham's bench. And Diego took them all on, didn't he? Yeah, no, uh, no, fantastic. Thank you very much for sharing that with us, Chris. And like, it, it, what, what is there a greater incentive knowing that you could, you know, randomly get picked out to go to a game that could go down in history as yep. Tottenham, as Tottenham's greatest choke? I mean, <laughs> what a memory, eh? Yeah, well, brilliant. people brilliant. still talk about that game, don't they? You in know, bit, the, yeah. the yeah. significance yeah. of it. It yeah. still comes up. It came up on. Um, uh, Sky Sports Retro on YouTube the other day, the Battle of the Bridge, and it was, you know, it was fantastic to watch it back. I usually skip the first half yep. and sort of watch it. <laughs> yeah, I sort of watch it from Gary Cahill's goal That's from it. there onwards. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that, yeah, it's a bit like the end of uh, when we beat Arsenal in the Champions League in 2004. Watching the last 20 minutes of that Lampard and Bridges goal, that was That's that. That's it. Yeah, same well, thing. Just the penalties from Munich. I know what you mean. Yes. Or, or just the penalty, or just the penalty. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Chris, you've seen many players, you know, pl- ply their trade at the bridge. You know, and I know you mentioned about uh, Ron Harris and, you know, the great Peter Benetti, but just for us, really, who is your all-time favourite player? Well, I, I loved all the guys from the 60s and the 70s, but I don't think I really understood necessarily their skills or their, you know, how good they were. So it's probably a bit difficult to, to evaluate them. Um, the the guy I loved watching just because he was absolute magic was Zola. And I, you oh. know, he was, he was the, the guy that I would just make sure I was watching any, any time. If I, if I couldn't be there, I'd make sure I could watch it on the TV. Yeah. Or if I was at the game, I'd just watch him and almost ignore the rest of the game because he was just brilliant. Um, bit of a tough one because my old, my all time favorite has to be Frank. It has to be. Yeah. Um, just because of who he is and what he's done and all that sort of stuff, but to, but for for sheer enjoyment of watching a guy, a guy run around the pitch doing his stuff with the ball, um, Gianfranco for me. I wondered if I could ask your opinion on someone, Chris, because my my dad's first game was in 1968, so he was he was born in 57, so he was 11, 10, 11 years old, very very similar to yourself, yeah. Chris. Yeah. And he said that. Um, his favourite footballer that he ever watched for Chelsea and he's watched Hazard and Zola and he's watched all the greats throughout all the years and he always said that Charlie Cook was Charlie the Cook. best mm. that he ever watched so I just wanted I just wanted to like if you remember watching him when you were young and you know obviously his talent is you know speaks for itself yeah I, I, yeah, I, I do remember I remember him and I was watching him and like Alan Hudson sort of floating around the ground moving across the grass it, it never seemed to be particularly Hurried. They just covered the ground and got stuff done, and they were always mm. they just would turn up and just just sort of work bits of magic. And I I see a little bit of that with um, in early days, but with Havertz, the first two or three games I've seen him play, and I can just see a sort of an element of the same sort of um, ease of movement, the way that the fluidity, the way he moves around with the ball. Um, but watching Charlie Cook was yeah was it was great great to watch. Almost, almost like a grace, they move a certain yeah grace. exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah almost almost like a. It's almost like watching him in slow motion. You know, yes, 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 absolutely, yeah. Chris, we're sort of, you know, four or five games into the season. What do you make of Lampard's squad? Do you, are you happy with it? Do you think that there needs to be improvement? You know, you, you've been to the bridge many times. What's your take on how Frank's doing this season? I, I think he's, he's, he's going to do fine. I think what he needs to have is everybody fit. 
um, because then all I hear is that oh he doesn't know what his what his best team is he doesn't know you know he never picks the same team he never he's always messing about with the defensive midfielders or whatever I just think three or four games in you've got to let him have a go with the squad that he's got and see how they're going to work together you know we've seen some very good indications of Havertz and Abraham working together we've seen good indications of Werner and maybe Chilwell working together there's there's all these things still to be identified um, and you're not going to do that you know in three or four games now with international break coming up as well I've got every every faith uh, that it's all going to work out we've got some real talent at the club now keeping them happy is going to be a problem I think but I think the talent that he's got there they should they should start to kick in it may take another four or five games I don't know but I'm absolutely convinced it will definitely happen how refreshing, Chris, from all the negativity that there seems to be on social media these days. And you can't move for it, can you, sometimes? No, no, no. And me and Keith, do try to, we try to be very honest in our approach to the games. And if, if something's not good enough, you know, we'll say that that particular performance wasn't good enough. But we do at the Blue, Blue Day podcast try and be really, really positive um, wherever we can be. And it's very refreshing to hear somebody else so positive about the outlook because that's exactly how I see it. We haven't even had a pre-season. You know, it's, it's, exactly, yeah. We, we've had no pre-season with a team that we haven't been able to add to for a year. All them other things that we know about, I'm extremely positive. I've been saying for many weeks now that this is the quiet before the storm. We're really going to kick into gear. Yeah, I think so. It, it's it's a bit like um, Conte's first year, isn't it? Where it's a little bit getting to know you for for, for a few games, a couple of disappointing results, then all of a sudden it just it just kicked off and went ballistic, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good reference. Didn't even think of it that way because we're so used to. Under Mourinho and Ancelotti and, you know, other times that we've been successful, we used to hitting the ground running. You know, I remember under Mourinho in our second season, didn't we win something like 14 of our first 15 games or something? Yeah. We definitely won nine of the first 10 because we drew with Everton one all. James Beattie's got a penalty. I was there. I remember that game. Um, but... We always notoriously start really well, but I think that's a good point. Under Conte, we didn't look especially good, and then we had a couple of poor results against Liverpool and Arsenal, and then we yeah. changed it, changed it at half time against Arsenal, and then there was the whole game. Different game, and, wasn't it? Yeah. By the Southampton yeah. game, and yeah. it just steamrolled from there. Costa went on a run. That's right. Yeah. I remember, remember that Everton game about two or three games into that run, we absolutely blitzed them, didn't we? Yeah. First weekend in October, yeah, I think it seven, was. So that was that was only like you no, know, it wasn't many games into the season. And he was yeah. still thinking about the formation and switching players in and out. Went to two wing backs, and the whole thing just, you know, it was like a, you know, it was like a St Paul on the road to Damascus, a complete transformation, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, we did do that to a few teams that that season. We, I think it was that season that we beat Everton five 0 at the Bridge, and John Motson, who's obviously witnessed, I don't know, four trillion. Sport yep. in his life. <laughs> At least. He said that he actually said on BBC after the match that it was the best performance from any team that he's ever seen at any level of football in wow. his life. He said that that was the ultimate match. He said Hazard was the best player in the world. Costa was the most unplayable striker in the world. William was brilliant, and he just went. He named every single player in the team. You know, Matic and Cortar and Aspiriqueta and Cahill, yeah. etc. Et yeah. et all of them. Yeah. And he said it's the best ever seen from any football team at any level yeah. in its life so we well it did set a trend didn't it because we were playing free at the back and then I think it was at the end of that season beginning of the next that everybody was playing three centre backs with yeah, two wing right. backs yeah they thought it was a dead formation in England didn't they 
Well, I didn't understand it because it all sounded a bit, all sounded a bit German, didn't it? I guess at the time playing that sort of formation. But uh, yeah, not many people had done it up until then. But uh, he really, really redefi- redefined that way of playing football, didn't he? And that, that put a completely new lease of life into Alonso and Victor Moses and all those sorts of guys. They just oh, had an absolutely stellar two seasons, didn't they? Chris, just one final sort of question before we do let you go here today. Um, just sort of back in reference with the Chelsea pitch owners. What's your overall hope for the CPO as an organisation going forward? I know, you know, at this moment in time, it's very difficult because we're not sure when fans are going to be back into the grounds. But just overall, as the organisation, you know, where, where do you see it, for, for example, in five years' time? Well, I think CPO needs to be much more visible. The, the, the fact that we're having conversations like this and, and needing to explain to people exactly what it is that CPO does and why it exists, I think, is endemic of exactly the situation that we're in. There's a there's a, a core fan base, and with respect to fan base, it's a particular demographic demographic of probably people like me, and within a few years, either side of my age, all with the same sort of history of supporting the club. And there's a there's a core base around that, and then our kids and our families and stuff. But I think what we need to be is that much more visible and that much more, um, well, communicating better with the, with the fans to get more shareholders into the into the place because we we can never have enough. And I think we need to be doing more around, not just selling shares, but doing more stuff and just involving getting more community aware of some of the things that we could be doing. Not to step on the toes of the club because the club takes precedence over most of the things that we do, and we fully respect, you know, their uh, their bigger power than, than than what we've got. But I think there are things that we can do to um, to make the community more aware of who we are and what we do, and to involve them more in some of those things. Brilliant, Chris. Thank you very much for coming on to the Blue Day podcast. Me and Warren do appreciate it. Warren, any final thoughts from you? No, that was it. Just uh, just. Uh reiterate Keith's point there you know thank you very much indeed for your time Chris you've given us a really good amount of time I hope that this is going to provide exposure both for the Blue Day podcast and the Chelsea Pitch Owners Club all of our sort of like listeners I know that they're small at the moment but please you know spread the word mention it to your Chelsea fans the Chelsea Pitch Owners Club because it is a a fantastic organisation that cannot get enough support and it needs a lot more exposure. So please, you know, check it out and support it if you can. And thank you very much indeed for coming on the show, Chris. Keith and Warren, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for the time and good luck with the podcast. So, fellow Chelsea supporters, that was Mr Chris Isit on the show, the chairman of the Chelsea Pitch Owners, to discuss the CPO. Warren, did you enjoy that? Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I hope all our listeners enjoyed it. I hope we got a lot of questions answered for you guys. You know, get amongst the the Chelsea pitch owners on the Chelsea website there. And, you know, if you can afford it at some point in the future, we've just been discussing, obviously, about how tight money is. But at some point in the future, if you could find a way to support Chelsea by becoming a Chelsea pitch owner, then you obviously you've just heard what an amazing cause. How about you, Keith? I mean, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was it was great to have Chris on the show. I do appreciate him taking time out of his busy schedule to have have the interview with us. I just want to elaborate as well with the Chelsea pitch owners. If you're looking to buy a share, then please go on to their website at chelseafc.com slash cpo slash buy a share. I will put the details up on Instagram 
and Facebook. So if you do wish to perhaps buy a share or buy a share for your loved one, Christmas is coming up very, very soon. You know, it's for a great cause. And Warren, you know, again, it was fantastic to have him on the show. I will want to end on this note, though, Warren. Yes. Because we have discussed it and it has been a busy week for us on the Blue Day podcast. As indeed. It has been a very busy week. We are looking to get more guests on the show. We are in negotiations. Advanced negotiations. We are in advanced negotiations with a couple of players, ex-Chelsea players, to come on the show. But we will be announcing something very, very soon. So please keep an eye on our Facebook page, on our YouTube channel, and our Instagram page for the announcement. Because we will be going live later this month with news of a potential Blue Day podcast signing, Warren? Yes, indeed. So keep an eye on the YouTube channel for that. If all goes well, we, we're we planning on doing a possibly a live stream for the end of the deadline day on Friday. So, you know, message in if you'd like to see that. If that's something that you'd like to see and you'd like to come along and support the channel, let us know. Um, we're probably going to be doing that Friday afternoon if we can uh, sort the YouTube stream. Um, and hopefully by then... Um, we'll be making a, a a big announcement with regards to our future guests on the show. It's, it's so hard to find the words to say it and not just <laughs> say what I want to say. Uh, but all all will become clear, listeners. And I can one thing I can promise you is, if and when we confirm the announcement that we wish to make on Friday, I think everyone's going to be very, 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 very excited. I am excited, very, very pleased that after six episodes we we are managing to get what this podcast is about to the people that were part of the great football club that we all love. So Warren, there's not much more I I, I can say on the matter really, so I'm going to let Harry J and the All-Stars sing us out again for this week. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been Keith Lawrence, he's been Warren Enjoy your weekend, stay safe and carefree. Network.